he's not here. He's here, but he's not here. He's, what do you mean? Uh, it's complicated. Hey, it's complicated, it right? Is. It's complicated. Uncomplicated. Ladies out. All right, then. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is our third Christmas special, the 2019 edition, following on from such great ones as, what did we do, like Carol and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and then The Nice Guys and LA Confidential. So just really stretching that Christmas theme. Who is we? It is me, Matt Waters, and the real world's founder, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you? It's been forever. Happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah. I think it's been a month, because that's what Skype says, or like a month and a half. But either way, yes, it's been a long time. I think probably this is for some reason my favorite tradition on the website. We don't have many traditions, though, so that's not like it's not like a big deal that it's my favorite tradition. It's a weird um, one, but it's good. And I think also just you and me, X Men Forever, fuck everyone else was something you said to me earlier this year, and it's like, yeah, okay, we'll do this forever. Yeah, obviously, I really like this tradition. It's also kind of just like the Shane Black tradition. At this yeah, point I've just really leaned it's mostly into just it. him who makes Christmas movies. <laughs> We've got and, at least two more after this. So. Yeah. I was actually going to start us off by asking, did the last Predator movie have Christmas in it? Because in which case you can have that fill us. I don't believe it did, but I didn't Damn watch it. it because of what happened in that movie. Off camera, you know, the shit he pulled. Still, we will be doing Iron Man 3 by popular demand, according to Mike Thomas. That is my pick, unsurprisingly. I am the Philistine of, of, of the group, easily amused by explosions. While you have brought The Thin Man to the party, a film that it is impossible to watch legally in the United Kingdom as of this recording, so I had to scramble to watch that tonight. But yeah, two very different films with a vaguely similar protagonist, I suppose. <laughs> like, he's got some Tony Stark energy to him. Yeah, they're both alcoholics. Yes, there you go. Show-off alcoholics who are just impossibly brilliant. And the women in their lives probably shouldn't put up with their bullshit. Anyway, let's start with what the people came to see. Iron Man 3 of 2013, written and directed by Shane Black. 131 minutes long, $200 million budget, $1.2 billion gross. Remember those numbers when we come to talk about The Thin Man. It's probably the most unassuming billion dollar movie ever. I don't know, there's Aquaman. Right. Uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, I guess that had a cultural thing to it. That, yeah. yeah. Aquaman's pretty close, I would say. Well, I mean, like, you know, you're coming out of the Avengers, this is their first at bat after that, and people sure did like Robert Downey Jr., so yeah. they gave them all they could handle. So this is notoriously reviled by some vocal people, and I am one of a few passionate defenders of it. Your position is one of general apathy, I believe, but you hadn't watched it in a long time before you did it for this. So I don't know if your position has changed, but like a lot of people are like, Iron Man 1 is perfect, the best Marvel movie, blah, 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 Iron Man 3 sucks. Whereas you have much more of a like... They all suck, and this one at least tried something. So I don't know if that is still your take. I wouldn't say I'm apathetic. I wouldn't say I'm passionate. Largely speaking, I do think the first two are formulaic. I think most of the criticism of the second one is overblown. I think most of the praise of the first one is overblown. Yep. I think they're both pretty much the exact same thing. And I think with the third one, I think especially on this viewing, uh, probably with like the whole Christmas thing specifically in mind, this is not like a genius take. This is not the first person to say this. This is just really like a one-shot fairy tale that made a billion dollars. There's definitely some of that uh, like Logan energy where it's clear that they took the criticism of Iron Man 2 to heart where people were just outraged that there was four minutes of footage in that movie that 
was, you know, featured characters that did not have complete arcs in that movie. I still remember them being very annoyed about that. And we, we're not going to turn this into an Iron Man 2 podcast. Wow, go for it. <laughs> but almost everything disconnected from the main plot of that movie was about the characterization of the main character. So everyone needs to get mm. over themselves. <laughs> but with this movie, they kind of clearly went off in the total other direction. Because whilst people bring up the events of like the Avengers a lot, this movie almost to the point of nonsense does not involve anybody else or anybody else existing in the world of the avengers well uh, yeah that was the big thing coming out of avengers one it's like how do you do solo movies now where they don't right. just immediately bring each other in and i guess their I, argument is they don't know where tony is but is that good enough he's a billionaire surely they would make it their business to know where he is right now don't get me wrong of the three follow-up films to the Avengers of all these solo <laughs> characters, this is by far the least offensive when it comes to where is everybody else? Yeah. The world is falling apart. And I believe the official explanation is all three of these events are happening at the exact same time, right? I don't but know. Every, I, mean... <laughs> uh, I thought there was I thought there was an exp- uh, a claim that Iron Man 3, Thor 2, and Winter Soldier are all happening simultaneously. Yeah. I could be wrong. I must I... admit that I found that distracting. I don't know. I kind of always felt that was a bit of a toothless argument because what do you want them to do? Just like have to come up with a contrived reason for it every time or just not even do the Avengers in the first place? Like they've got to keep making solo movies. I guess the answer is that like people are sick of every film being it's the end of the world and if it is the end of the world right. you get the avengers and if it's not then you don't need them and too many of them are like end of the world i think world. i think thor can get away with it because of the nature of that character and existing across realms but yeah like if well there, there was an easy solution to that don't bring them back to earth i know i'm sure i'm like touching on things you've been already <laughs> talked about yeah excuse me i know that because i've listened to all the podcasts of course you listen to podcasts <laughs> generally you're just a huge um, fan <laughs> and like i said this is by far the least offensive of those three mm. and i think they kind of course correction was is that like we're just not gonna make solo movies pretty much all that much anymore (laughs) i just think shane black came in with a really great clear vision in mind that in my opinion is i don't want to say words like mature because i mean we're talking about comic book movies and the idea of like oh this one's more grown up than this one it's all kind of bullshit but i look at what favreau's vision for the character was which is just he's a fun happy playboy man who shoots people and then i look at what shane black was doing and i think it's just superior and i think ike palmata came in and fucking ruined it by sort of taking away his sort of big originally planned twist which was rebecca hall was gonna be the big villain and there was no aldrich killian it was gonna be that this woman is pulling the strings with this like hyper masculine terrorist versus patriot like bullshit and i think that would have been a far more i think we'd be talking about that to this day if they'd gotten away with doing that and instead they reduce her role down to like this tiny little thing where she just is just offed she's a really weird role I know. She says vocally, like, this isn't the film I signed up for. And, like, you know, I'm glad for Guy Pearce getting some work because I enjoy seeing Guy Pearce act. But, like, this is one of the more notorious, like, oh, the villain sucks type performances. And it's like, I don't know what it is about it because 
I think on paper it sounds good. It's like I, I mean, it's kind of treading on the Justin Hammer, uh, Sam Rockwell territory again of like another Tony Stark and that kind of thing. But I don't think he's doing a bad job. It's just I think a lot of people just were just not up for Tony Stark versus people with superpowers. Like they want to see him fight what more Iron Men like he's done in every other fucking Iron Man movie. I, I don't know. I think that's a problem with Iron Man. He has bad villains generally. I think there are a lot of things. One Guy Pierce is kind of like a very much feast or famine guy for me like sometimes mm. i'm really into what he's doing um like last christmas and yeah. then sometimes i'm just like what are you doing <laughs> this one's a little bit closer to the spectrum where it's just like yeah. i think it kind of gets to this whole movie this i find this movie very cold it is I, christmas I, michael i i know <laughs> and i think these movies at the end of the day are probably just shallow enough that they really need to feel like there's a richness to each character. I mean, I know I harp on this at all, but like, I think comic book movies are inherently shallow mm-hmm. and they benefit from an ensemble can cover for that. And I think with the solo outings with a lot of these movies with the Marvel, they just feel a little shallow because I'm just like, but everyone th- else just feels like kind of gets like they get short shrift yeah. or, well, I do I think mean, they should be leaning into that. I think you want to be telling the most like broad strokes, good versus evil like narratives and then just focusing on like little character interactions and moments and yeah. Like that. yeah i think those are just more pleasant movies in general from yeah. them there are some things about this that i appreciate that i don't know they don't really make the whole better but james badge dale just like <laughs> totally awesome henchman in this just yeah. there, there aren't a lot of henchmen like him in the Mar- in the marvel no. movies I wish there was and even I, more of him and uh, yeah. Stephanie Shostak. Like, I wish they were like the hitmen in in the Nice Guys, where they're kind of a bit comic reliefy, but they are fundamentally still very dangerous. And I yeah. guess they weren't that big of a presence, but like, I, I wanted more of these two. Like, I feel there's two films here almost. You know, it had been so long since I had seen this that it's not that I forgot the uh, Ben Kingsley twist. <laughs> right. What we I need had to... forgotten was that the marketing for the movie was so based around the fact that he. Was was the mandarin that the trailers heavily emphasized him and i had forgotten actually like i wish there was a non-racist way ben kingsley could have just been the villain because he is just so well you want him to ca- have sincerely done that like you know i i think i think there there was something there that they could have done in a non-racist way like i think so this is, this is one of the biggest knocks against it is a lot of people fucking hate this twist that this character they pretend they like that nobody does it's a racist caricature was robbed of his seriousness by like you know and and like all the marketing coming into it it was like oh it's like this is gonna be the best villain portrayal since joker and and stuff like that and instead they take this this swerve with it and i think it's fucking genius personally i think within the context of this is a really racist villain character. Mm-hmm. This was a really good way of handling it. If you I, really like want yeah. to paint yourself into a corner and use them. I just think that Ben Kingsley menacingly pointing out the hypocrisy of this country yeah. and wanting to find some way of like calling them out on it. I think there's something there. And, and I, like his, but, his delivery of you'll, you'll, you'll never, never see, see, me, see me coming is so good. <laughs> like it was in one billion trailers. I realized like yeah. as soon as it, it was like, oh, I remember that line. But I think and you I got to have wish... it both ways. Like, I think they did that. 
and then they turned it around and like the idea that like I, and again I still I think if, if they revealed that Maya was the one behind it instead of Killian that like this is all a big fucking puppet show because like this is what people respond to I think that's great and and like I think Kingsley plays like Trevor really really well like I think that's really funny when he's like Trevor Trevor's Natalie and he's just this like pathetic little good. man <laughs> like it's very good I will build on your point by saying it's possible that if Rebecca Hall was the actual villain yeah. maybe this I would be feel less underwhelmed I think but it just like, it would just really like, drive home lizards like fucking everyone's like repairing themselves like oh my god it was so <laughs> dumb it was so lowest common denominator it's a big then, iron man story they felt they and had then to do it. there's just giant robots fighting these like fucking mutants oh, yeah. that could heal them like the it, it just built to nothing yeah and... the ending like action scene is she like just his yet more like just many many iron man suits jumping around and, like i got a minor kick out of like him jumping from one to the other or whatever but like it it's so preposterous and like how he's like invincible when he wears the armor but then like when they're unmanned suddenly they like so flimsy they just blow apart easily and that's all bad stuff but that's not the stuff that like I think of when I think of this movie. I think of like Tony. Like, what do you think of the whole PTSD? Like, like, and I know that's like giving it. A it feels bigger... so phoned in. It feels so really? like. Okay. I think it was an interesting idea. The huge criticism is that like nothing that happens in these movies has any consequence. Like, you love to you know how much of a father's dark energy did it take to send you back or oh whatever. My God. Yeah, all of that, and like oh. this movie even has one of those where like Joss Whedon had to go make another event. So like, oh, you're Iron Man again. Uh, but I thought this was like the right. first. <laughs> like, I mean, like that's why I was like, I was like, you know what? I, before I got to that point in the movie, I was like, this is a fairy tale one shot. It's almost <laughs> non-canon, is what yeah. my take on it was. And I don't think it did not change how I felt about it, but it was more just like that's in my head. I'm compartmentalizing it as like a non-canon entry. Yeah. Well, the original final line was "I am Tony Stark," which I think would have not again. It would have been a ne- nice, neat three film plus the Avengers journey where, like, you know, he needs to be Iron Man to be safe and then he works through being himself. And I think that would have worked. But what I mean is, like, this is one of the first examples of actual consequence where he did this big fucking crazy thing. He was, like, adrift in space for a minute. And, and he's a guy that, like, he has mastered everything on the Earth almost, like, with his brilliant brain and company and all this shit. And then he sees something he can't fucking just, like, science away. And it fucking shook him and he is a big confident braggadocious man and he's having panic attacks and stuff and i i really liked it personally and like when like the kid is like talking in his ear and he's like does he write like help me on the kid's drawing or something like that when he's signing it i don't know i really really enjoyed that as an ongoing thing and him refusing to sleep so he can build the perfect iron man armor to protect everyone and this ongoing narrative he had i wrote a big wanky essay on into the you can find about tony's like ongoing narrative of like having to build the best protection or whatever yeah i i enjoyed all of that i just think there are little things that let it down i think it's the parts where it tries to be like iron man one and two that let it down quite frankly and it's that final big action scene and that kind of try hardy stuff and i think the stuff where it's doing something that the first two definitely didn't is the best stuff i really love tony running around that mansion with like a makeshift little arsenal of weapons because yeah he's still a clever fucking dude even when that is giant suit of I think at the end of the day, I just think Tony Stark has kind of been there, done that. Like, I don't just mean within Marvel and just Mm. with like Iron Man. He is set up to be a buddy. Like, I'm not saying the buddy, not like the second wrong, but it, it needs to be a buddy movie. 
yeah. and none of the three Iron Man movies are buddy movies. And they, you know, they vaguely tried in the middle bit here with him yeah. and Rhodey. I, th- I would have liked more they, of that as well. Like I would have liked a bit more of know, him and Rhodey. Like similar to how I think Thor: Dark World should have been called Thor and Loki, and should have just been about Thor and Loki. Yep. I like this yeah. at least should have been Tony and Rhodey. Yeah, and I know like they're they're always claiming like we're not trying to just. We don't just do things to set them up for things down to later on. But I mean, this, if you really want to make James Rhodes a character that we are all supposed to be invested in within <laughs> his own character and not just like, hey, it's Don Cheadle. Yeah, they've never. He's, he's <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.'s lackey in these movies. Mm. This was the time and they didn't do it. They have a couple of good moments in most of the films. It's just, it could be taken so, so much further. And like you said, yeah, I would have loved for this whole movie to have been. Iron Man and the War Machine or whatever. Or, I mean, yeah. definitely not Iron Man and Iron Patriot. Like, that's a... I get what they're going for there, but as a non-American, all that stuff, it's like, ugh. And I, I guess that's what they're going for, but yeah. I think sometimes I want that to be your reaction, but I think it's really hard to do subversive stuff within the context of these movies. Like, <laughs> like it just it just rings kind of not true. Yeah, because they come um, from Disney and they're so, like, blueprint and everything. <laughs> yeah, like, um, at the end of the day, these movies are pretty, like, fascist-y. You know, like, they create a context in which they justify fascism. So your token appeals to being like, man, nationalism is bad. Look at all this irony we're using. Like, shut up. Like, you're not. You're not. <laughs> what do you think of the kid? A lot of people hate the kid. I mean, like, he's a precocious kid. And as the saying goes, we wouldn't need precocious if we were willing to call more kids assholes. Um, <laughs> I like, wouldn't that say word, he's an asshole. Like... Well, that word would have no reason to exist if we were willing to call. No, I mean, like, <laughs> he is in it much less than I remembered. I will say that. Like, I wonder if, like, the test screenings were really bad and they cut a lot of them out because he just was not in it. Like, I, like, my whole thing, like, my memory of this movie is, like, man, the movie's, like, 80% Robert Downey Jr. in, like, Tennessee with a kid in the snow. This is my point. This is what everyone says about it. This, you know, oh, the kid and all of this. Like, he's he's in it for, like, ten minutes. Like, yeah, this he's is, really not in it at all. That's uh, a false thing to stand on. Like, it comes down to Mandarin, yeah. it comes down to Killian, and it comes down to the kid, always. And, like, I think the kid, as child actors go, I think he's pretty good. He's fine. It he's was fine. weird when he showed up in Endgame and literally no one remembered him because, obviously, the kid is older. Yeah, I just, I love the Shane Blackie-ness of it as well like the narration and the the little reveal at the end with ruffalo being asleep throughout the whole thing and um fitting yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i i just applaud it for doing different things and i think if he'd gotten to make this movie today with horrible misogynistic racist ike not in place with rebecca hall as the villain and everything they could have done something even better i think it is unfairly maligned personally. I think it's better than Iron Man 1. I think it's definitely better than Iron Man 2. And I, I'm with you that Iron Man 2 gets too much sort of yeah. abuse as well. But I, I guess I'm still at that point where I can't be like passionately pro this movie. Mm-hmm. And I still definitely appreciate that it feels a lot, it feels even more different than everything we've gotten in the last six years. I think it was right around Guardians where everything's kind of felt the same since Guardians, which is kind of weird for that to be the turning point. But everything's kind of felt like, okay, we know what we can do well, and that's what we're going to do. And it's going to just be a lot of banter with a lot of characters we're familiar with. <laughs> and and like, um, it is um. a very easy time watching these movies. But it was more interesting going back and watching one that at least stretched itself a little bit a little bit i think what happened i mean i think the crutches that we've seen over the last 
decade, 11 years, or hmm. what hold it down. And I think, and one of those crutches to me is they are too beholden to Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And like, we have plenty of evidence that suggests he thinks everything should be about him. And he was very confused why the Avengers was initially not all about him. Yeah, he, why am I not the first one introduced and all of that. Right. He, he did admit he thinks the film worked better <clears throat> than yes, what he yes. wanted, but yeah. But I think when it came time to Iron Man 3, he was ready to go back to it being all about him. Yeah. Um, and then he like hurt himself making it because he was like 55 fucking years old or however old he was. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's weird because like based on the box office, they could have done another one of these probably. And I, but I think it was... Yeah. Like, it shows remarkable restraint that they didn't, considering it's them. To an extent, it's not like they weren't willing to shell out the money. You got like fifty for Civil War, yeah. so it's not like they weren't willing to pay him fifty million dollars again. Yeah, uh, and I feel Civil War was kind of his. Like he got a chance almost to do another one because he's like in that yeah. movie for like three minutes less than Chris Evans. Yeah, I was gonna say like that is very close to be Captain America versus Iron Man as opposed to Captain America Civil War in terms of like screen time and presence. It left me a little cold. I, the other characters are so thin. I think Gwyneth Paltrow is fine in these movies, but mm. they don't give her a lot to do. Yeah, but to Downey's credit, he pushed to make sure she got more to do in this one than the first Good. two. Agreed. But, like, she kills Killian, man, at the end. Yeah! <laughs> like, Downey had given up. He's on his knees. He's like, whatever, just kill me. It's one of those things where, like, I enjoy the shared universe-ness of it, like, that people can show up in movies that you don't expect, but then there are times where the pressure to make it an ongoing thing forever handicaps it, and I think this is an example of it with how it ends with him tossing aside the arc reactor only to be yeah. back in Ultron and stuff like that. Like, that's the nature of the beast that they're making here. But I think they will make them a little bit more fractured. They will always be connected because they, I think they know that there is money in that whole like, oh my god, blah blah blah, showed up into the, in this film. But I think they're going to scale it down a little bit for a while before they run back up. Well, yeah, I hope so, I, anyway. <laughs> I mean, that would seem like the smart thing to do. I was glad to revisit it. Even if I don't feel more firm in like the false binary of whether it thumbs up or thumbs down, I feel like I appreciate it more on some levels. And I, I actually, I really do think it's be, it's a better Christmas movie than it yeah. is anything else. <laughs> yeah, Big Christmas Bunny, like all of that, uh, it's all happening. <laughs> like it just feels like a simple little fairy tale that happened to make a billion dollars. Yeah, and again, I applaud it for trying to do something different when all of the criticism was that they were formulaic and stuff. And like they've been remaking Iron Man one, and not just them. Every superhero movie has been remaking Iron Man one for however long. And I like that Iron Man three wasn't remaking Iron Man one for the most part. I concur. Good. Uh, if you would like to hear more of my opinions on Marvel movies, you can listen to Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey at EnterTheRealWorld.com. Mike has listened to every episode. He loves them all. He is devastated that we're taking a break until Thor Love and Thunder comes out. But, you know, we'll have all of the stuff that comes out between now and then reviewed in time for that. But we're going to take a I little break. I think it's really cool that the Black Widow spy movie that we've been asking for for years features her jumping out of a plane shooting people and, yeah. like, giant robots yeah isn't that so cool that we're finally getting that small scale spy movie we've been asking for for a decade hey man they've got a trailer up how they've got a trailer up you don't know that's gonna be the whole thing <laughs> i really uh, hope that's a red herring yeah yeah and also i love how it's very timely and scarlett johansson has never been more popular as a human being i hear marriage story is very good we could talk about it i've seen it yeah i haven't seen it but i, I hear it's very good 
Anyway. Adam Driver is very good. Yeah, I love Adam Driver. He is a wonderful actor. But we're not talking about Adam Driver. Although he we're talking is, about Patterson. He is a thin man. I well, no. The whole the whole joke is that he was so thick. He's, in, he's uh, enormous. Last Jedi. Yeah. He's yeah. only six foot two. With the so biggest he... hands I've ever seen on a human being. I know, and his face is huge. He's only six foot two, but he seems like some sort of giant. I don't I don't get it. Anyway, we are going to go back in time from Iron Man to the Thin Man, 1934's The Thin Man. Directed by W.S. Van Dyke, written by Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich, based on the novel of the same name. It's only an hour and a half. Budget of $226,000, a gross of $1.4 million. Now, I'm sure if you adjust, those are not as comically smaller as Iron Man. Or they're not going to be billion big, but I'm sure it made a respectable amount of money. It was one of the biggest hits of the year, I believe. And they made five more of these damn things. And uh, I've only seen the next two. So uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, with... <laughs> Are the other set at Christmas? Ad Asta of the Thin Man series. Uh, nice. <laughs> I don't actually know. I don't. Okay. I don't know if they are. But uh, okay. <laughs> I, the second one features James Stewart, so Ooh. that's pretty cool. Well, this one has Cesar Romero, so yeah. Also yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. What'd um, you think? Yeah, the most enjoyable. I like. I think it lives and dies by the banter between. Oh yeah. The the two the the couple, and I think the hardest bit to get over is just it's a different era of filmmaking. Like the priorities are different. That you know, like sound was harder. Like everyone is kind of talking over each other, and stuff is very quick, and it's just got a different cadence than modern filmmaking. It's like I I've seen. Some have you seen old films before, Matt? Yeah, no, no, I'm just... <laughs> but it is you always sound... a bit of a barrier when you see a new one for the first time. You're like, oh, okay, cool, right, i got to get myself in this headspace. That's just for me. I mean, you may slip right on into them, no problem, but I, I think it is... It's a different language of filmmaking, and you have to sort of remind yourself of that whenever you see a new old-timey film. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, I think for me, with this one, at least, like, my parents made me watch it so many times as a young kid that I've seen this <laughs> so many times. And yet, I never remember who the killer is. And quite frankly, I don't think I still It doesn't know. matter just, who like, the killer is. It really doesn't, which is kind of the point. It's like, it's just... It's just it's, it barely makes sense. Like, it's such a convoluted, yeah. like, solving scene. But it doesn't matter. You're just here to see these two, like, bicker. Yeah, and, you're here and, for the show. Yeah, and be And the show has other. very little to do with who actually did the killing. Yeah. I really love these two. William Powell was an insanely funny actor. I can't I'm, believe I'm, they didn't assume... want him for this. They thought he was too old and stuff. Like, he's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you enjoyed this movie, I definitely recommend Life with Father, which has okay. a really interesting story, which is that no one owned the, like, the video rights. So there's like a million versions <laughs> of the DVD out there. Nice. And most of them are in really shitty condition. It's just a very warm movie. It's a very yeah. much of a Christmas movie. It feels like putting on a warm blanket. You can just <laughs> let it wash over you. The banter, the yeah. crazy younger brother character. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he feels like something like out of modern filmmaking. He does not feel like, I don't feel like, I don't expect to watch an old movie and see a character like that. I yeah. feel like I, where it's done completely with irony. Like it's yeah. not, it is the joke. And if the joke feels like, yes, that is the joke. Most, yeah. I always feel like characters like that, they don't know the joke. I think there are a few elements of this that feel a bit anachronistic. Like I think the the Ooh, dynamic between, yeah, no. uh, the, the dynamic <laughs> between Nick and Nora. Did they name Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist after this couple? Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, the dynamic like, between them. This came them... out before His Girl Friday, and it is all very much His Girl Friday-like. Sure. 
but yeah, I, I just yeah. mean like the way Nick and Nora treat each other. It I feel it's a bit different than a lot of couples yeah. of this era treated each other, and it feels a little bit more modern. You've still got the uh, playful domestic abuse threats and stuff like that, where he like raises sure. the hand to her. But you know, it was the thirties. He does punch her in the face to stop her getting shot, but for the most part, they are on like even footing and like she gives as good as she gets and, and i think how do you pronounce her name is it myrna loy yes yes uh i think she is fantastic and yeah. i am again stunned that they didn't want her and they like set him a they set the director a ridiculously small amount of time to make the movie They're like oh you can have her if you can make it in oh i don't know three weeks and he did it because she was known for a very different type of role but she's amazing at this and like i don't know if she has more of the of the best lines but she certainly has as many in my opinion and and just yeah any any time the two of them are not on screen i'm bored (laughs) and then they come back and everything's good again (laughs) fair enough i i think maybe because the movie is a little bit more of a nostalgia piece for me because i like i've watched it so many times i kind of enjoy the whole the whole thing going on like i've seen these characters so many times i always like seeing them pop up again yeah big pop for tana yeah the the dog is oh the dog like yeah i mean like it's such cheap laughs like i'm watching frazier for the first time now yeah the dog shit is such cheap laughs but it works every time Um, look at that little dog chasing that balloon (laughs) yeah and like the gag where like he's like my dog's gonna bite you and then the dog immediately runs away just so good just just <laughs> so good i don't know it just there's it, there's a sense of like community within this despite the fact that all these characters are essentially meeting each other for the first time like, yeah i like oh here's chris and his old wife with his new illegal wife right and, like how does she not know you've been missing? and they like, all have the exact same blonde hair the whole thing with caesar romero like like they set it up where he looks like he's guilty as fuck and i yeah. ga- i gather from my research that like in the novel his character is this they mention this rosewater red herring character that like has ostensibly done the murders he was supposed to be him and then they changed it and it's like oh then why did you bother making him look like he's guilty as fuck and then he's got nothing to do with it i remember the whole time thinking like i'm like so certain it can't possibly be him because it's not like no (laughs) <laughs> like it, I remember it not being obvious at all, but like, man, like I can't justify any of his characterization if he didn't actually kill him. Like, <laughs> I so I feel like there's this, like this whole like subplot that he actually did commit a serious crime around the same time, and he's convinced they're about to find him for it or something. Yeah, I think that is the idea. Yeah, um, everything will be okay as long as uh, Nick and Nora are there. Is right, the kind of thing. I think. I mean, I think whodunits as a gen- as a genre or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. There's something so warm and comforting about them. Yes. I think they really provide environments just for fun stories. Like they don't have to be like mad. Like they really make you introspective and think about your life type of movies. They're just like, they they feel very farcical and like, we call it Cluedo. You call it clue. Like you're, you're with your family or playing a board game. It's, I don't know. It feels like another world and it feels very safe, even though like the literal premise is someone has died. (laughs) Right. And this is with us both coming off seeing knives out, which is a fantastic. Right. Oh, I was thinking, I was actually thinking a lot during this. I was like, man, knives out should have been happened at Christmas. This would totally, 
totally. We would totally just discuss knives out the entire time. Oh man! <laughs> like there's no there's no reason for it not to have. There's no reason for there not to be a Christmas tree at knives out. Rude there's of them no to reason. not put a Christmas or some like yeah. late hanging decorations in the background. Like Chris Evans has already got the sweater on. Like yeah. it's fine. It's ready to go. All yeah. they need to do is add a CGI Christmas tree, and it's yeah. a Christmas movie. Can uh, Daniel Craig just continue to devolve into increasingly bizarre regional accents? Like. Uh, Oh. He has to. He has like, to. It's, it's, he has no choice. Yeah. Logan Lucky, Knives Out, where will it go next? Anyway, this is not the Knives Out podcast. I really like them as as a pairing, and as I said, like it's almost surprising to see this kind of a dynamic in a film of this era where like all the women are hysterical and all the men are like just right. punching them and smoking and drinking. And he is still kind of doing that, but I don't know. There's, <laughs> he, he clearly has like a lot of love for her, and there is some like reverence, and, and they still have like a good back and forth and, and romance to them when a lot of stuff this era like oh you get married and then you just become these boring old people and they seem like they're quite fun even though that Christmas party they hosted seems like the worst thing in the world <laughs> right I don't know it made, me, it made me ready to go back and rewatch the others Are you, I, I actually strongly recommend the second one with James Stewart like okay. just like well I briefly making... started watching that before I realised my error and then I, <laughs> I, found, I found the original <laughs> should we do like one. an old timey films podcast. That'd be great. Yeah. I mean, like, you can did I make you watch the third man now? Yeah, yeah, man. Because we, I think, you know what? We we can we can make that like an annual thing. Like, uh, we pick two old movies to watch. Like, there's no reason to like. Aww. We need us. We must watch all of the canon now, uh, yeah, or time <laughs> will run out. There's definitely something safe about them and controlled about the world. And then, especially once the what's it? The fucking fucking board, the production code, like oh, the, the production code, code yeah. era is really kind of weird. But then there's also like really cool ways that they like subversely talk about things within the production code like uh, some like it hot like would be a oh, great one to talk about with that i love some like it hot. Yeah. oh yeah i mean like one of like i put it up there with like 12th night in mm. terms of just like shockingly progressive things to come within very <laughs> very yeah. like strictly not progressive time periods where mm-hmm. they just they basically both use cross-dressing to just make the point that be whoever you want to be and fuck whoever you want to fuck and no one should be able to say shit about it merry and, christmas uh, merry, <laughs> ha- happy christmas that's the british way so it's right? not but if you it's say not? so harry, oh, damn it harry potter fuck harry potter yeah Ruined it. yeah yeah, I'm Harry you. Potter. Merry yeah, Christmas. happy holidays. That's your made up one. But you another... know, like Hanukkah is just not a big deal. Like it's ah. kind of phony to suggest that. Like the only reason why Hanukkah is a big deal is because people of consumers culture <laughs> that just wants to like. Should I just fade you shop. out during this? Yeah, like, that was the idea. I was. Like, <laughs> now you gotta keep this last bit in. Now you gotta keep this last bit in. Okay. Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. 